So many things have ruined my childhood So I go online to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus Fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh -huh, uh -huh. Predators, uh -huh, uh -huh. Marvel, uh -huh, uh -huh. DC, uh -huh, uh -huh. maybe it doesn't all quite sting. Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this podcast, Ruin My Childhood. I'm Phil, and with me is Eric. Where is she? Rachel! Uh, sorry, Robert. Uh, she's not in this movie. Oh, vengeance, then. Vengeance. Fear is a tool. They think I'm hiding in the shadows, watching, waiting to strike. But I am the shadows. I got you! Oh! I'm vengeance. We're going to be talking about the new Batman movie, but with us we have a very special guest this week, and uh, he joins us from his own podcast where he talks about Batman, but Andy and I go way back. We've known each other for, for many years. So Andy DiGenova, welcome again to this podcast, Ruin My Childhood. Thanks, thanks for having me back to talk about Batman. Oh wait, was I supposed to do a Batman voice? Wait, where is she? No, yeah, where's the trigger? What have you done? <laughs> Which movie is it from? I don't know. Uh, no, thanks for having me back. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, it's weird that you know I've been on a few times, but this is the first time I'm actually talking about Batman, my one true love. So uh, it's yeah. exciting to be here. Thanks, and nice to finally meet Eric. I've listened to Eric, but now we actually are talking to each other. Yes, and I've listened to you as well. Amazing. Well, all bets are off. I Let's said do right this. before the podcast started, <laughs> worlds colliding for me. We we're really here to talk about the Batman which is the new 2022 release with Robert Pattinson as the titular character. As we do on the show, uh, we generally talk about the fandom that started it all for us, but we did a Batman Quadrology episode with Brendan Lowe, uh, your Batcast brother, one of your Batcast brothers, Andy, uh, way back in our first season, gosh, two years ago, I guess, at this point. Mm -hmm. And so everybody already heard what Eric and I had to say about how we love Batman and where where that came from. But Andy, can you give us a really brief history uh, of your your love for the Batman? Of course, I'll try to keep it brief because you know, I, otherwise, it's just my life story. Because my love of Batman starts <laughs> from my very earliest memories. Um, yeah, I mean, as, as early as I can remember, just seeing like a Batman action figure, uh, superpowers figure, Batman uh, popping up on Scooby Doo. I was already like, I like him. Uh, and then in 1989, I always said I dated Batman until 1989, and then we got married for life because I fell in love with the character because of Batman 89. And that movie just completely just consumed my world and my consciousness. And it was an obsession for me that entire summer. And I've loved Batman ever since. Uh, I have loved 
most iterations of Batman uh, from films, movies, cartoons, animation, video games, etc. If it's if it's Batman, I'm already interested. Obviously, I have my preferences of which ones I like more than others, but it's Batman. So even the worst things I say, Batman's like pizza and sex, even if it's bad, it's still pretty good. I'm still into it. Um, so yeah, I've just I've I've been obsessed with Batman pretty much my whole life. I have a Batman tattoo. I am recording this in my Batman themed office, my very own Batcave. So it is it's not just a fandom. It's a way of life for me. And I do a, my my own show, Holy Batcast. I've been talking about Batman on that show weekly for eight years now. So eight years. If, if that's not commitment, I don't know what is. Yeah, eight years. I started it in 2014, and we just celebrated eight years a few weeks ago, which was crazy to me. But yeah, for everybody listening, many of you probably already know me from Holy Batcast, so you've heard it all before. For the rare people who have not heard me talk about Batman, go check out Holy Batcast, and I, I just expound about my love of Batman weekly on that show. Yes, yes, you do. Sometimes more than weekly, but I guess now it's probably weekly with all the life events that have happened. This is true. This is true. Weekly is the plan. Sometimes less, sometimes more. It just depends. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to dive right in then and get to The Batman. Um, So this film opened uh, just a couple weeks ago at this point, and this episode is actually going to post pretty soon after recording, which is kind of rare for for this, this show. So it opened at 134 million domestically, which is pretty great. It's the second highest opening weekend for a film since the pandemic started which so you know spider-man holds that record and then batman comes in at number two um but to date domestically has made 252 million and 479 worldwide and by the time this actually posts over the weekend uh this episode it'll probably have broken 500 um it'll probably have broken 500 by the end of the day today but it's it's got legs it's doing really well i've heard of people going to see it two three four times so that goes to my first question Eric, how many times have you seen this in the theater? Uh, just the one. Okay. I assumed. I don't always have three and a half hours just laying around to go see <laughs> movies. Yeah. So, yeah, this had to be, this just had to be, a happened to be, just work out perfectly that I did have three hours laying around. And I say three and a half because I'm including like drive time. Yeah, you got to drive. You got to go get concessions. Yeah, it's it's more than just the three hour movie. It's yeah, it's travel time. It's it's snacks. It's trailers. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, yeah, it's a time commitment. So Andy, you I assume once. Um, I've actually been lucky enough to go twice. So uh, I went the first time. I we did the fan the fan first screenings on March first, and mm-hmm. fortunately, my mother in law is here. Uh, Phil just mentioned life events, so. Phil and I have something in common. We we welcomed new babies five days. Yep, within five days of each yep, other, I think it was. Um, so yeah, we both we both have newborns at home, um, and so my mother in law's in town. So me and uh, my wife got to go have a little movie night and see the Batman. And then my wife, who is a saint and the best person I know, about a week week and a half later, I was like, I want to see the Batman again. She's like, Oh, it's fine. Me and my mom got this handled. And I was like, You are amazing. So I, I was able to go see it a second time. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So for me, saw it once. Um, my wife, uh, my wife's aunt is in town, and so um, they both were like, "Go see it with your friends. Just get out of here." So a friend of mine, Mondo, he's a big Batman fan as well. Um, I've actually sent both of you pictures separately of some of his uh, figures in his collection at his house. 
uh, several weeks ago, but he's a huge Batman fan as well. And uh, so he and I went, it was his second viewing, but my first. And I have to say, I left the theater pretty happy. I, I won't say ecstatic. I won't say overjoyed, but I left pretty happy. And that kind of gets to where I want to go with, with this show. Obviously, we're going to talk of whether or not the Batman ruined our childhood. So let's dive right in and and talk about our reactions. So Andy, I know on your shows you do spoiler-free stuff. We just go right for it. We go for the jugular on this. So um, Good. That's fine. Efficient. I like it. And at this point, everybody's seen it. If anyone's listening, yeah. you've seen it. Come yeah. on. I mean, I've heard of people seeing it six, seven times, which is just amazing. I don't I'll know give where you they a hint. He wears time. a cape, punches <laughs> guys. Yeah, he, he's vengeance. He is. Some of the folks I, I deal with in Batman fandom, man, they, they've gone eight, ten times. And yeah, who's got the time? But that's amazing. Respect. Good for you. I wish I could. That's a part-time work week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Andy, so what are your thoughts of the film? Um, I have, I ha- I'm really interested because I, I think you and I think the same way about films sometimes. So I wonder if I'm in line with the way that you thought about this. So mm, give me that, your thoughts. That will be interesting. You haven't listened to my reactions on my show. I haven't. Okay. Well, great. Fresh. Um, so uh, I've done now well, I guess three episodes talking about the Batman and a lot of the fans are not happy with me because I didn't love it, but I did like it. The first time I saw it, I liked it. I actually liked it even more the second time. So I would even go as so as to far go so far as to say, there we go. Words. Uh, I can go so far as to say that I really like it now. I just don't quite love it. Um, There's a lot to like about it. And I love the cast. I love the characterizations. I love, honestly, my favorite parts of the movie are the nice character moments between Batman and Catwoman, Batman and the Penguin, Batman and Gordon. Mm -hmm. Those, I think, are the the strongest things in the movie, and I really love those things. But there are just a couple uh, nitpicks I have that keep me from loving it, that hold me back a little bit. But you know, I, I saw it twice. I would go a third time if if time allowed. So I really like it. Um, but because I am not, uh, you know, screaming from the rooftops, best Batman movie ever, best movie ever, because I'm not quite that enthusiastic about it. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm missing out on part of the party because there are a lot of folks who feel that way. And for them, I'm like, that's great. Like, if this is truly the Batman movie you've been waiting for your whole life, then that's awesome. For me, I'm like, it's really good, but it's for me, it wasn't this religious experience where I thought, oh my God, everything's perfect. Knocked it out of the park. I'm not quite that in love with it. So I think we're going to have an interesting conversation here because it sounds like uh, all three of us are on the exact same page. I will completely uh, echo what Andy said. I liked it. I didn't love it. And I don't have major problems with it. It just was a solid film, but, uh, I would probably say I'm the same way. I have a few nitpicks with it, um, but I loved the entire cast. Uh, I thought everybody did an awesome job acting. Um, I liked the interpretation of both uh, Bruce and the Bat in this one. And uh, largely, it entertained me and it was fun. But yeah, it just wasn't... it, it. it, it wasn't the dark night, not that I was expecting it to be, 
nor did I want it to be. I didn't want just a copy, but, uh, right. But it, yeah, I walked out and I was like, good. And I just thought about it a little bit more and, and really I didn't even think about it that much more. It's like, ah, I like this part. These are the things I didn't, but I got to say right off the bat, I loved Robert Pattinson in the Batman suit. This is the coolest, sleekest, most mobile Batman we've had. Every other Batman just seems kind of clunky to me. And I've always thought it like even Christian Bale, who was kind of a slimmer, faster Batman in the Dark Knight. It just seems like all the other Batman are so slow and bulky. But this was like a slim, trim, like middleweight Batman. And I really felt like that. That's a mobile action hero. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I would say, I, I liked the suit for the most part, and I liked how Pattinson filled it out, but I didn't love the cowl. And I think that's kind of a resounding thing across the fandom is that a lot of people didn't like the cowl. I mean, it's funny. That's, that is one of the divisive things about this movie is like, I don't love the bat suit. It's fine. It's fine for what it is. And it's one of those things where I kind of made my peace with it. And in the movie, it doesn't bother me. It's just not my favorite. I just think it's a little too complicated. It's a little too uh, clunky just with, with all the panels and it's just a little too busy for me. I just, I wanted something a little more streamlined. Um, But again, once I saw the movie, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It looks good. It's I'm cool with it. But yeah, that's one of those things where the cowl isn't some, something that, that is my favorite, uh, especially like the big weird nose piece. Like, um, but it's, you know, that's one of those things where, you know, on 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 our show, we none of us were in love with the aesthetics of the film in general. Like we didn't love the bat suit. We didn't love the Batmobile. Uh, we really didn't like what the Riddler wore. I still don't really like what the Riddler wore. So that was an, a conversation as we went on where we just were like, what? Just just do the do the Riddler. Like, why does he have to be dressed like that? Why does he have to be yeah. dressed? You know, like um, and a lot of fans disagree yeah. to, to jump in. Sorry, but. He, the Riddler looked like Hush. And that kind of bothered me a little bit because there was even a moment in this in the film where he had Hush written across a picture. And I, yeah. I guess Matt Reeves was just trying to blend a lot of Batman together. But his mask was reminiscent of the bandages that Hush wears. And Hush is all about a secret in the Wayne, uh, in the, in the Wayne family. And it just felt like he was combining the two. And I don't have a problem with him combining the two, but the Riddler is too much of an iconic character to really divert from who the Riddler is. And so that's one of the problems that I had with it is the Riddler felt more like a non-Riddler, more like a serial killer. Everybody's comparing it to Seven and Zodiac. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, that's what I've been telling people who haven't seen it yet. I said it's Batman meets Seven. It is. Yep. That, that's accurate. So yeah, the, I, I didn't mind the cowl at all. And I actually like the way the, the wait, whatever you'd call it, the attachment of the cape kind of even kind of crept up behind his neck, kind of like a Dr. Strange-ish little arc. I don't know. I liked it all because it, it, I see what you're saying about it being like cumbersome and too many parts, but I also felt it was a very sleek look. Like it didn't look like it was too bulky and it felt to me like uh almost like a catcher kind of has the uniform underneath but then puts a few things on top um mm -hmm. rather than the other bat suits just always felt like a big thick piece of kevlar or whatever bulky suit anyway i uh i enjoyed it 
Yeah, Batfleck is still my favorite suit. Yeah, me too. I, I, I agree, though. I didn't like the Riddler look. I don't think we necessarily needed to have uh, green question marks all over a three-piece suit or anything like that, or a purple mask. But even if he was like kind of in tone with this sort of uh, reclusive type creeper guy, you could have at least had like some sort of green sweatshirt or something with maybe some brownish khaki pants and maybe a jaunty hat of sorts that doubled as a mask, sort of like the way Catwoman had a hat, but it was also a mask. I don't know. I just think I, I agree. And I think, that. and I think that's it. it like for me, it's like, like I, the Riddler is my favorite Batman villain. I love him. I've been waiting for him to be back in a movie since Batman forever. And I was so excited he was going to be in this movie. And I even, I do like him in the movie. Like I like the riddles a lot. I like the puzzles a lot. And I think that Paul Dano, once we finally get to him at the end, he gives a good performance, but at the end of the movie, I still feel like, well, I still want to see the Riddler in a movie because I didn't really, that didn't, this didn't really scratch that it. <laughs> yep. Can I, can I hop in with the thing that bothered right, me right. the most about the film? Yes. And I, I'm going to get through the nitpicks, but this is the biggest nitpick for me. And it is that Do it. this film, or, or at least the bulk of the film, all of the Riddler stuff and Batman stuff seems like, and, and maybe just tell me I'm crazy but seems like a copy paste from the dark Knight. It feels like Matt, <laughs> you, you need brother, brother, you, you need to listen to my episode. Oh no. Is is that what you said? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I caught so much flack for saying exactly what you're about to say. Please continue, but you are not alone. Matt went and watched the dark Knight and said, these are my favorite pieces and I'm just going to do this. Mm hmm. It just feels like all the things that are happening happened with the Joker in the Dark Knight. It's just, you know, he he kills the same people, right? He kills um, the, the mayor, the DA, uh, the chief of police. He kills all of them. The Joker kills all of them. And now the Riddler kills all of them. Um, he sends riddles, the Joker. <laughs> he laughs a lot. He goes after the crime families. Um, it just feels like the same kind of beats throughout the film. There's, um, you know, the end, he, he, he goes to prison and Batman confronts him in prison and then realizes that there's more to the story and has to run away to go save other people. And sure, in, in Dark Knight, it's Rachel and Harry, but in this, it's, it's like the entire Gotham elite at the Gotham Center. Yeah. But it just feels like it's very similar and that's one of the things when I left the theater, I was like, I really liked it, but I feel like I saw a lot of it already. So that's not my biggest dislike, but, and I would probably file this under nitpicky um, as well. But I, yeah, the whole thing, it's now I, I let it go in the dark night, but there are just so many parts of the Joker's plan that could have fallen apart at any moment and nothing would have played out the way he wanted yeah. it to. <laughs> And I felt like the same thing in this, but to an even higher level, because ultimately killing Falcone wasn't even the Falcone end game. in this movie. 
the end game. What's that? Falcone in this movie. There's no Falcone. Well, for sure. Now you're nitpicking on the podcast. Thanks, Phil. This ruined my childhood. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But killing him ultimately didn't really relate to vans down by the river. So I don't, I, I almost felt like I watched this whole subplot of, Hey, I finally got my, my revenge, which was to get Falcone or Falcone, whatever, John Turturro out in to the light. But it just seemed like, again, any part of that plan could have fallen apart at any moment, especially when he could have killed Bruce Wayne. If, if Bruce would have opened that envelope instead of Alfred, and even if it didn't kill him, it could have put him in the hospital like Alfred. And meanwhile, the Riddler's just sitting around going, well, uh, my plan kind of stalled there. I haven't heard from Batman in a couple days. At least I still have my vans down by the river. Well, I'll, I'll address both of these things because I, I, I agree with you both, honestly. The first thing is, yeah, the, the Dark Knight similarities are, are absolutely there. There are some scenes that were so reminiscent that they pulled me out of the movie. Um, so that's why the first time... I liked it less than the second time because the second time I just was at that point, I went in eyes wide open. I knew what I was getting, but yeah, there's a lot of similarities between this and the dark Knight. Uh, I've definitely caught some flack for pointing those out, but they're there. Like it's, it's, it's the most influential Batman movie ever. How am I not going to notice when there are similar beats in this Batman movie? I, I can't help it. I'm a Batman fan. So yeah, when the Riddler sends a video to the news, this handheld video of him threatening the city and threatening his next victims and then turns it on his current victim so we can all see what yeah. he's doing to his current victim, how am I not going to notice that the Joker did exactly the same thing? Right. Um, but again, those those things, that was my biggest complaint coming out the first time because if it distracts me from the movie, that's an issue, right? If it pulls me out of the movie, and it, it did. The second time, less so, because again, I already knew about it. Um but I do, I do agree with uh, Eric as far as like the Riddler's plans. Um, there's one issue in the fact that the Bat- Batman never stops any of Riddler's plans at all. Like Riddler gets to do whatever he wants to do, and Batman at right. no point is able to stop him. He never uses any of the riddles to actually stop someone from being killed. Um, so th- right. there's that, there's that issue, right. and then yeah, it seems like he has three goals. Goal number one is to just uh, bring into the light the corruption of Gotham. And then goal number two is this like... Doesn't everybody already know Gotham's corrupt? Yeah, yeah. But and like... And then goal number two is like to get at Bruce Wayne because he has this like like personal vendetta against Bruce Wayne because they were both orphans and he felt like an invisible orphan and everyone's supposed to feel bad for the rich orphan. And then his third goal was like just kill everybody at Gotham Square Garden. But those three don't really (laughs) don't really overlap, you know, like like it's three separate things, but they don't quite coalesce into one plan. Right. And everybody said that this is the best detective Batman they've seen. But like you said, Andy, he he is a good detective at putting things together, but he never did it fast enough to actually stop anything. Right. And so that was another point of contention for me is that he, yeah, he's, he's smart. He's great. He's, he's cool. But this is year, the end of year two, it seems of him being Batman. And I guess he's just not good enough to stop the plan before it's in motion. But again, looking yeah. at a lot of comic books or even get close, he wouldn't have even caught the Riddler if the Riddler didn't let himself get caught. 
Yep. Yep. Uh, that one random cop, Rodriguez, I think was his name, that knew, uh, that had an uncle that worked as a carpet upholstery guy. Mm-hmm. And that's how he figured out to look under the carpet. Like that whole but thing wouldn't have then, happened. Looking under the carpet did nothing, though. That didn't help him get to the scene faster or figure anything out. I mean, eventually he would have no. heard the, the explosions or saw it on the news or, or you know, something, you know, he whatever Batman does, Alfred, well, I guess Alfred was in the hospital, but somehow he would have figured out that there was something bigger going on. Well, but didn't, and, and maybe it's because I only saw it once, but did, didn't he pull up the carpet, see the map, and then go online, and then whatever he looked at online, that video triggered the explosions? It didn't trigger the explosions, I don't believe. But no. basically, that's how he learned the master plan of getting everybody, you know, of blowing up the all the different uh, water levees or whatever to flood the city, to get everyone to Gotham Square Garden, where now all of his little incel followers are going to execute everyone. That's how he learns about that. That's what he learns it from under the carpet. That's what he learns. But as he's reading it, then all the explosions start happening. So he doesn't stop it. The only thing, the only time you could say that the riddles helped Batman stop anything was then he was able to get to Gotham Square Garden and take out the followers. Right. But again, Mm -hmm. it was just timing on that. That was going to happen no matter what. But you're right. If he hadn't learned about it, the explosions would still go off. He would still see that the, the city is flooded. Right. And again, that's not even him being a detective and figuring anything out. That's just the Riddler telling him, here's what I'm doing. But mm-hmm. but yeah. that actually that actually brings me to the thing I I did not like at all, uh, which is that final plan to get Gotham Elite inside a big arena and then put 10, 20 guys up in the roof with machine guns or rifles or whatever to just mow people down i felt like that is just too close to real life with with the mandalay bay with the pulse nightclub with even during the Mm -hmm. dark night movie in colorado like people are really doing this in real life and i get that movies reflect real life it just for me as far as entertainment goes just felt too like I literally when that started happening and I'm like this is what they're doing whoa I like glanced around like where are the exits now like not even as a joke like I felt uncomfortable because yeah. I it's 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 just that like if he wanted to get them all there and maybe have had a quote unquote hit list of 10 people that he wanted to go after. So it's more of a target. It's again, more of a vendetta, but just that randomness of it. I mean, geez, you can, you could probably turn on the news tonight and read about somebody who went into a mall or a festival or a school and did that. And that to me felt like less creative than you could have been when you're already dealing with a super villain. Thoughts on that? I agree. I think it was also, I also think it was tone deaf in, in a sense. Um, I loved the message that that scene brought to the end of the film about how Batman became hope instead of vengeance. I loved that, but there's a better way to do it. And it should have been that he rigged all these vans to blow the seawall down 
So Gotham's flooded, so now he also has vans in the garden. And that's what blows and kills everybody up. And Batman has to figure out how to stop the 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 bombs from going off in the garden. And there could be more riddles attached to all the bombs. And it just felt like there's there's a better way to do the Riddler at the end of the film than what they wound up doing. And I, I agree with you, Eric. I, I thought it was kind of tone deaf. I thought it was a little too much with the way the world is, or at least the way America is right now. Andy? Hmm. I honestly, that, that didn't even cross my mind. I mean, I think the point is valid, but I, that didn't really take me out of it. I, for me, it was more just like the intent of like, well, did you want to reveal the truth of Gotham or did you just want to kill everyone in Gotham? Which one is it? But I, I understand what you're saying. I think it's, it's a valid point. But for me, I'm like, yeah, but if it's just bombs he's defusing, who's he going to fight for the finale? He's got to fight some bad guys. Well, true. He could have, somebody had to have, you could have had the, and again, this would go back to <laughs> the Dark Knight, but, you know, and you wouldn't have to do it exactly this way, but I don't know. It's going to sound just like the Dark Knight where you had Joker goons dressed as police officers. You could have had, Riddler goons dressed as firefighters and paramedics and stuff. But again, I realize I'm stepping on the same thing. I have not sat down to rewrite uh, the Batman like I have with a lot of other movies because I, I felt overall it was fine. And I also agree that for the big fighty finale, you needed something. I just uh, I just wish it wasn't that because it's especially the up in the catwalks firing down i mean all i could think about was the the yeah. mandalay bay yeah. and that was mm. like oh that's just mm. too too real yep and I, wh why is yeah, it that interesting these films have to have a third act major fight like a ultrons or aliens or or riddler followers why can't it be something a little more cerebral where batman is trying to just save the day and needs to figure something out. He's already fought through the film. And I will say, the fighting is pretty brutal. It's pretty raw. You can tell he's a young Batman that hasn't really refined his craft yet. And I liked the fighting in the film. It was probably second best to Affleck's fighting style, at least in my opinion. But I, I just, I don't know that, why do we always need just hordes of villains coming out to be fought in the third act? Why can't it be something a little different or a little better? It, it can be, and I, I understand that point too, but I feel like by that point, there hadn't been a fight for a good hour in the movie, so uh, if, if it had ended without some sort of finale set piece, I know I would have been disappointed, because yes, I, I love Batman for the characters and the storytelling, but yeah, I still want some good action in there. Um, and I even remember when that, the first time I saw it, when that, that f final fight started i was like oh yeah yeah because <laughs> it's been it's been so long since since we'd seen some action um so i i get what you're saying there are different ways to do it but you know at the end of the day like people are paying for a big superhero movie you want some sort of big climax whatever that might be maybe it's not just taking on hordes of nameless villains but you still want a big finish in my opinion yeah. no, no yeah. I, I agree no you... yeah i just yeah just that setup even, even like I said, even mm -hmm. if the tweak would have just been they're there to kill the mayor, the newly elected right, mayor right. and her cabinet. Like, yes. like again, targets, but random civilians ultimately, even though he was technically calling them the elite, is still 
oh, that's just a little too real-worldy. I would have mm -hmm. preferred. Because they did mm -hmm. shoot the mayor. She didn't die. But at least that felt like, you know, more psychotic to me. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm putting all of my rage and, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, even, even, in, even in The Dark Knight yeah. Rises, like, Bane didn't even kill all the police officers in Gotham. I mean, granted, he had different agenda. He just, you know, led them, every single one of them, except for two, down this long tunnel and then barricaded them in, you know, like the Pied Piper of Gotham. But he didn't even kill them. He just trapped them. So they were out yeah. of his way. So right. I, I don't know. I just... Uh, but if I was going to say anything in the movie, I, I will firmly say did not like um it was that and then everything else is again sort of nitpicky with his plan and you know kind of convenience how everything worked out plus catwoman's involvement certainly accelerated a lot of what happened with falcone so most of that would probably not have even happened and catwoman wasn't even being goaded along by riddler so she was this right. chaos factor that Riddler wasn't even counting on. He was just yeah. he was just in the, using Batman to do his things. He and but but really, Catwoman went in there to kill Falcone, and and that's why the whole thing happened the way it did. I mean, what was the Riddler just sitting there behind that rifle like endlessly? Because he doesn't know like what's yeah. happening inside. I mean, yeah. Batman snuck in as Bruce Wayne. Well, and Cat Catwoman's the one who figures out who the rat is. Batman doesn't even figure that out. Yeah. It's Catwoman right. because she yeah. goes and finds she goes and finds that cop who's working for Falcone. She's the one who gets the info out of him. Well, and, and so without her, mm -hmm. Batman wouldn't have even solved who the rat was. And to that end, so right, so so Catwoman goes there to kill Falcone. Batman goes there, but he goes in as Bruce because he sneaks by the security guard and took his costume in. So all of that happens in, what, five to ten minutes, roughly, that whole scene in there? So, so again, did Riddler not see Bruce Wayne sneak in the door when he's sitting there behind the rifle going, all right, any minute now, Falcone will be in the light. Like, what did he, how did he not see, like, hey, I thought I bombed him. Well, I mean, this just goes back to the mayor's funeral, too. The mayor's funeral, they were both there, and he was there. Edward, whatever his name was, was there up in the top. Bruce turned around and looked at him. Yeah. And then he walked away right before the car came through, crashing through the, the yeah. church. So why didn't the Riddler just take out Bruce and Falcone at the funeral? Yeah. Yeah. So he like, yeah. So that means, yeah, you're right. Edward ran away to whatever room he had set up so he could get on the phone to do the, the riddle game. Yeah. Because, yeah, he could have killed them both right yep. there. Yep. Even even with Falcone's like throwaway line, ah, oh, the guy who's more reclusive than me, aka why the Riddler has to go to such extreme lengths to get me outside and vulnerable. <laughs> Plot convenience theater. Wouldn't it have been funny if wherever whatever room Bruce went to to change into his Batman costume was the same room the Riddler was about to make the phone call from? Well, they were both they were both changing in, in stalls next to each other in the bathroom. That would have been hilarious. Yep. You just get a shot of both of their feet, like just put, putting on yep. the, the different outfits. Bang, bang, bang. Occupied. Oh, sorry. I hope it's a deleted scene on the Blu-ray. So skipping, not really skipping around, but changing a, a little focus here. Uh, 
I've read a few things where people felt like Bruce Wayne did not have a distinct character and he was kind of wasted um, as much as Batman had a character um, that, that his counterpart was just sort of dull. I would disagree. I liked mm-hmm. the kind of emo, sullen, Same. super, I would say depressed to a degree, like, you know, vengeance-seeking kid who had his parents murdered a long time ago. I really felt that and saw that. And in the same way, the Hulk is an extension of mild-mannered Bruce Banner. I kind of felt like in this movie, Batman was the hyper-aggressive form of the depressed, sad, hurt, vengeful Bruce Wayne. And, and that theme kind of comes out, too, because the Riddler even says, like, you know, I was using you. You know, we were doing this together. I was leading you, guiding you. And Riddler even refers to himself as kind of weak and powerless, but he needed somebody with brute strength to go do some of these things. I think both Riddler and Bruce had a commonality in that, although, of course, Bruce Wayne has Batman's fighting skills because he's Batman, but... They both still projected into the bat and used that, quote, vengeance in a different manner. And that's why at the end, like you said, Phil, that's where he realizes, oh, I can be better than this. But anyway. That's that's an interesting take on it. Um, I think similarly to what you're saying, but I think that it kind of goes back to what they've said and, and the comics have really heightened about Batman that... Bruce Wayne is his mask and Batman is his real, is the real person. And I felt like in this movie, every time he was Bruce, he was wearing a Bruce Wayne mask. And when he was Batman, he was more himself than he could be any other time. And that's what I felt out of this. Um, But I, I like what you said about how the extension of the strength and the vengeance was both Bruce and Edward. I, I like that. Because then there's the other scene too, and sorry, Andy, I get your opinion, but the other scene that also kind of exemplified this were the two scenes when he goes to the club as Batman, beats the crap out of everybody to get in, and then he goes back as Bruce, and he does the same thing when the door opens. He goes, do you know who I am? And both times they're Mm -hmm. treated differently because, again, this is mild-mannered, weak, quote, weak Bruce, who, you know, gets by because of who he is, where Batman is the brute hulk strength of of him so anyway andy what what, how do you feel about it uh well i i'll say that you know i've seen a little bit of that but i have no issue with the fact that we don't get a public facing bruce wayne in this we don't get playboy bruce wayne Mm -hmm. because that's not the stage of where batman is he hasn't quite gotten there yet and and they set that up from the very beginning of he He's like, well, I don't care about any of that. I, I, this, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm honoring right. my family. So, it's totally baked within of where Bruce Wayne slash Batman is in his life here, where he's only focused on Batman. He doesn't see the value in Bruce Wayne, and so that's just not a priority. So, I have no problem with how Bruce Wayne was uh, portrayed in the film and in the story. I do have an issue with the fact, though, that they they very clearly set up 
they don't just set up the arc for Batman, which I think is paid off beautifully by the end. I love Batman's arc in the film. I love that he starts out as vengeance. He thinks that's his mission. He thinks that's all he has to do. And by the end of the film, he has to learn that he has to be more. He has to be also hopeful. He has to, he can't just scare the bad guys. He also has to inspire the good guys. And I think that's a great arc for Batman. It's one of my favorite things about the movie, but they also set up a very clear arc for Bruce Wayne at the beginning where you have that conversation where he says, I don't care what happens to me. This is all I'm doing. This is how I'm honoring my family's legacy. And Alfred tells him, no, there needs to be more. You you have a name to uphold. Um, and then the conversation he has with the mayor candidate before she gets elected and of, she, of her saying, the Waynes have a history of supporting Gotham and you don't do anything. So it's very clear that he's also supposed to learn that he needs to help Gotham not only as Batman, but also as Bruce Wayne. And that doesn't get paid off in this film. I'm confident it'll get paid off in future films, and that's great. But I do think that's a missing piece in this, is by the end, not only should he learn that Batman has to be more, he also has to learn that Bruce Wayne has to be more too. And that, I think, is a, a note that that's missing from the I film. saw that exchange with I the agree. mayor. I saw what you saw, but I saw it uh, more the naiveness. Of, of the mayor, because she says, you know, you don't do anything, but she doesn't realize that, yeah, he has been doing stuff. He's just been doing it in a different way. And I think what he needs to learn is not necessarily that Bruce needs to care more as much as for all the assets that he has as the Batman, Bruce has value too. So, so maybe another tool in the Batman's arsenal is oh, I can get things moved along a little quicker because I need access to this or I need these people to do this and I can do that with my Bruce Wayne money. So let let me go be him again as more of a tool than fully embracing and dealing with any real emotions Mm -hmm. he might have. Yeah. But either way, I really like, I loved Robert Pattinson in this. I'll say it. I don't care if anybody disagrees. I, I really loved him. He, I thought his his Bruce was great. I loved him when he was Batman. I love the suit. I love the look. Um, just everything about him was was spot on for me. The cinematography in the film was unbelievable. Yeah, it was absolutely that beautiful. Rooftop, that rooftop where the bat signal was. My yep. gosh, it's like I want to Google where that is and like go there that was such a view that was so pretty we had nighttime we had daytime oh man i loved i loved it yeah phil you're right that i i I really enjoyed the cinematography in this yeah i i agree i like i said i think the cast across the board is exceptional i I agree with you pattinson Mm -hmm. is a great batman uh he's a great bruce wayne for what bruce wayne is in this film and i think he'll be a great bruce wayne as that character evolves as well he's great I think Zoe Kravitz is amazing as Selena Kyle. I think yeah, that, yeah. Uh, I mean, Colin Farrell might be the standout as the penguin. He is so fun to watch. Every scene that he is in is a highlight of the film. Uh, he's so great. And more of him, please. I think that he was a highlight. John Turturro was amazing. Um, Jeffrey Wright was amazing as Gordon. Like really everyone. Paul Dano was good. Again, it just mm-hmm. I just feel like it took a, a long time for us to really get his true performance because most of it was just, you know, 
modulated voice and video. Um, Mm. But he gives a great performance too. So yeah, the cast overall, I think is exceptional. I agree with you guys. Gotham is beautiful. The way it's shot is beautiful. I really like this Gotham in being a hybrid of real, but still Gothic and has its own personality. Um, I love that this is a Batman movie where he is Batman for 80% of the movie, maybe 85. Yeah. It is truly a Batman story in that he is Batman on this case and it's a week in Batman's life on one case. And I thought that was a very cool way to, to just tell a different type of story where it's like, no, it's, it's this week, it's this case. And the fact that we see almost the entire movie through his eyes and we're following him throughout the case. I thought that was unique. That was different. And it was great for those of us who love Batman. It's like, I want to spend time with Batman. And that was something that was really cool that I think a lot of us have been asking for. Oh, and yep. I, I'm sure Phil's into this. The The score by Michael Giacchino is amazing. Uh, I love the score. But so there's there is so much to like about it. And we've certainly, you know, picked out some things with the, the story or the plan that don't quite add up. And those are valid. But I want to make sure that we give credit where credit is due, because there's still so much to like about it, which is why I walked out going, yeah, I still really liked it. Not my favorite of all time, but I really liked it. And I really like where it ends because it sets up a world where they can still pretty much do whatever they want. And I'm excited to see where he goes next. Yeah, they had the Joker cameo at the end with Barry Kahn. One other thing I, I want to discuss is the Batmobile. Now, there's a lot of divisiveness around the Batmobile going into this, as there is with every movie, because I remember when uh, Batman Begins was coming out, people hated the Tumblr, and then by the time Dark Knight Rises was over, people loved the Tumblr. So Ner- Nerds are awful. Yeah. Oh, we're so hard to please. <laughs> we're, we're absolutely the worst. I mean, I made I've made jokes about people sitting in their parents' basements before, but I'm I'm one of those That's guys. Just it. Yeah, we can smell our own. <laughs> I'm not in anybody's basement, but I complain. First question before we get into the actual scene of the Batmobile, Eric and Andy, where does this Batmobile rank amongst the pantheon of other Batmobiles? I, I loved it. I thought it was sweet. I thought okay. it was you know, a realistic, you know, kind of like it fit the tone of the movie. Like the the same way the costumes weren't like real sharp, uh, um, Tim Burton style, like directly from the comic kind of comic-y costumes. The Catwoman was more of a utilitarian kind of mask, sort of more of a hat kind of thing. And like we discussed the bat suit, it was, it seemed more real to me that it was kind of a bunch of parts together. And uh, the, the Batmobile just fit with that. It's like he took a muscle car and then threw a jet engine on it, you know, and that, that kind of comic booked it up, of course, but largely, oh, I thought it was sweet. Interesting. Andy, what are your thoughts? Oh man, I, I'm going to be the other side of the coin. I'm so sorry. I really do like this movie, guys. I, right now, right? I do. I like the movie. But um, w- aesthetically, like we talked about with the costumes, like I, I just didn't need this another ultra realistic version of Batman. And that includes the Batmobile. Like if we're just talking like visually the design of the Batmobile, it's my least favorite. Because it 
it just looks like a car with a big honking engine on the back. I need a little more bat in my Batmobile. Uh, much like much like some of the other things I mentioned, I've taken plenty of grief for this because I was just like, it's just a car. Like, give me a little style. Give me a little pizzazz. Like, I, I want my Batman to live in a more comic booky world. And I think the movie does that well with Gotham. Um, but the car was just a little too real world for me. I am right there with you. I... I didn't hate the car. Yeah, I, I, I didn't agreed. love agreed. it. Like exactly what you said. It had no flash, no bat flash. And that's that's what I want. And I, I thought in all the set picks we saw back in 2020, I was like, all right, you know, it's maybe it'll look better on film or maybe they're going to CGI something into it or on it. Or maybe it's going to have like James Bond-esque or, or even Batman 89 Batmobile-esque, like something comes out of it and it just looks cooler then. And it, it didn't. It just looked like a muscle car with an, a jet engine on it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the jet engine cool and, it, you know, that blue flame that it kind of shoots, it's it's neat, but it's just nothing special. I, I would see that car in a Fast and Furious movie before I'd see it in a Batman movie. I see what you say about not, you know, not needing everything to be ultra-realistic it's it's just i think for this particular film it was even more realistic i think than the christopher nolan ones mm-hmm. um yeah and yeah, that's why sure. yeah so that's why for me it it fit the the image of bruce wayne that was kind of portrayed too now i know this is batman's car not bruce's but the bruce that pattinson was kind of bringing to life to me felt like a raw stripped down no flash i'm just gonna punch you in the mouth with my <laughs> supercharged jet engine batmobile and i don't care mm-hmm. what you think it looks like and that that's why for me i hadn't seen any any pictures i i think in the trailer i think there's a little bit of the chase and that's when the penguin goes i got you i got you and then it comes roaring through the flame and and I remember I couldn't really get a good picture of it because it was kind of dark. Um, but when I actually saw it in action, yeah, to me, it felt it, it felt like it it really fit the film. And I'll agree, there was no flash to it. It was just a punch in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get it, and I get that. And I think when I had to resolve myself with it after the movie, when I was talking to my my buddy. Um, I thought in my head, I, I kind of worked through it as it's okay because it's new. He's still mm. towards the end of year two. And I know there's a lot of debate of people saying, where is he in year two? Well, he's in the movie. He specifically says during his first voiceover, we've gone through two years of the Gotham project. And so in my head, it's like either the last couple months of year two or mm-hmm. just getting into year three. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, maybe he didn't have a car to start and maybe he... After year one, he was like, you know what? I need a car. And so this is the car that he retrofitted. And so maybe in the next movie, he'll have something more Batman because he's he's now going to be more iconic to the city of Gotham. And he's going to be that hope. So he won't only want people to see the bat signal. He'll want people to see his car and hopefully his bat jet and his bat copter and his bat bike and everything. <laughs> but yeah, well, hey, you mentioned the bat bike. He does drive that motorcycle. And that was the most pared down, stripped down motorcycle yep, sure I've was. ever seen in my life. That, I would argue, could have used a little more, a little more flash um, just mm-hmm. because I would have felt like he could have 
afforded something with again a little more muscle behind it that seemed like a real like kind of dangerous motorcycle to be riding let alone in a bat suit at the end it does have the little bat ears on it and like that's really all i need is i'm like you just gotta give me a little give me a little something and through most of the movie you're right it's just it's just a motorcycle but by in that last scene I don't right. know if it's supposed to be the same motorcycle or a different one, but regardless, the one in the end, I go, yeah, that looks like a bat cycle. It's a it's a more realistic bat mm-hmm. cycle. They didn't go over the top with it, but there was just enough with that bat motif that I went, okay, cool. So I liked that better than the Batmobile. Yeah. Um, I agree with you, Phil, in that like the the flames helped a lot with the Batmobile. That I think made it look a little cooler because they didn't just come out of the jet engine on the back. They also came out of the hood. Yeah. So I thought that was something and I appreciated that. And I don't hate it, but... I'm with with you and much like I felt about the costumes and everything is I'm like, well, it's all still starting out. And Matt Reeves has been very open about, uh, oh, this is before Catwoman becomes the Catwoman, you know, this is before the Riddler becomes the Riddler, you know, and I think it's the Batmobile before it becomes the Batmobile, you know, and I hope that in the sequel, like you said, now that he's out there in the public, Gotham knows Batman, uh, he's going to lean into that more and we're going to get something a little more comic booky. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the hope. Um, so one last question, uh, about the chase. So how did you both feel about the actual chase sequence? Go ahead, Andy. Meh. (laughs) One word. Meh. I was very let down by it, uh, especially in the first viewing, because uh, I had heard before the movie came out, oh my God, the Batmobile chase is just going to blow your mind. And I was like, great, because I wanted that chase to make me fall in love with the car. Because keep in mind, as a Batman fan, I want to love everything. I truly do. I don't enjoy not liking anything. Um, and <laughs> You don't enjoy not enjoying things. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you, get no right. Pleasure. you get no pleasure from this. <laughs> I get no pleasure from not enjoying it. Uh, and like I said at the very beginning, it's like I feel like I'm missing out on the party from all the people who are like, oh, best Batman ever. And I'm like, oh, man, I just I wish I could join you all, but I can't. You know, I'll be over here in the corner drinking my red solo cup, just being quiet. Um, but like, yeah, I wanted the chase to make me fall in love with the car, because even though I didn't love the way the car looked, I was like, oh, well, you know, if this chase is that great, I'm going to fall in love with it, because that's what happened with the Tumblr. I didn't love how the Tumblr looked, yep. but that Tumblr chase in Batman Begins, oh, psh, forget about it. It's amazing. And I was like, never mind, I'm sold. Awesome. And this one, when that car revved up, which is a great moment, I love the moment where it revs up and the lights shine and you're like, OK, here we go. I leaned up in my seat. and I was like, oh, here, yep. here it goes. Um, but I didn't I didn't like the way he chose to shoot it with most of the the angles being attached to the sides of the cars where half the frame is filled with the side of the car instead More of than half the frame instead of the chase. Like I there was not nearly enough wide shots or coverage of the chase itself. And I felt like I was mostly looking at sides of cars and then Penguin's face and Batman's face. Yep. And so I found it mostly frustrating And then when I went and saw it again, it bothered me less because, again, much like the other things, I knew what I was getting into. And I was like, okay, this time I'm going to try to not focus on the sides of the cars. And it and it was a little better. But I just much like a lot of things, I'm not as in love with it as a lot of the other fans are. And as far as Batmobile chases on film go, it's not very high for me because of that. Yeah. Eric, what did you think? I'm I'm right there with Andy. Yeah, Um, I agree. I felt it was very tense in the way it was shot. 
but I also agreed there weren't enough wide shots, enough establishing shots. You had too much of the car, and honestly, parts of it, I, w I was losing track of where the cars were yeah. in regards to one mm. another. Exactly. Because I, I just had no reference point, you know, yeah, like you said, you needed to wide out to go. There's Batman. There's Peg, and then zoom in or something. But yeah, it, it wasn't. I didn't feel bad about it. I just, it just didn't love it because, also, I mean, we've seen enough chases in our lives to know how they end. So, I, <laughs> I, I mean, sure. Did I know? You know, hey, maybe Penguin was going to get blown up, but that wouldn't have made any sense because Batman needed to talk to Penguin. So I guess I didn't like know how it was going to end, but ultimately I knew how it was going to end, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Same. But I didn't he... know that he'd flip over, you know, 45 times and still be alive without a scratch. But I, I, the one thing that really took me, I mean, a lot of the chasing took me out of the movie because it was disorienting and a little, it made me like not necessarily feel queasy, but it just, it, the camera was mounted to the side of the vehicle. So you were in line with what the vehicle was doing but everything behind the vehicle was shifting and moving and it just felt disorienting and then when they did the point of view shots from inside batman's um car that then was a complete departure from the way they were doing all their other establishing shots so you had this point of view on the car with action happening in a third of the screen and then you go to what his view is and it's the full screen and he's going through these trucks and somehow the lift falls perfectly right when he hits the I don't know the like the Nas <laughs> to go faster up the ramp and through the explosion it like it, it all was just jarring and I could never feel like I was comfortable in the scene yeah yeah and that's and that's just it is it, it was hard it was easy to lose track of it because it was lacking those establishing shots those wide shots mm -hmm. uh inserting in a couple of the shots from the sides of the car great fine cool mix yeah. it up i just i just thought it was such a weird choice to make that the bulk of the chase you know yeah. um and it didn't bother me so much but but my uh my co-host on holy Batcast, jamie he gave them a lot of grief about that that ramp just happens to fall down at just the <laughs> right time he goes because if it didn't fall down batman was dead yeah he didn't make it fall down it just nope. it just was very convenient that it fell down and i was like yeah i guess that's true um now andy you've seen it twice yes that was my question and again i kind of zoned out on most of the chase like about halfway through because like i said i didn't know how it was gonna end but i knew i kind of was like all right just wake me up when we get to him catching the penguin mm -hmm. i i kind of zoned out i missed it you saw it twice Batman doesn't do anything to make that ramp fall because that's what I would want to go back and watch and just make sure he doesn't carry him another car off of something or see the ramp. Are you, you're you're sure you like double checked it? Because that's I, that's a point I want yeah. to look. Yeah, I, I I didn't notice him do anything that would have made that ramp fall. I think it was just one of those movie logic convenience okay. theater type things where it's like yeah it just fell at the right time so you could jump through the flames which is really cool by the way i i do love the way it ends um like you said i knew how it ended because i had seen the trailer but i do love that that shot where penguin thinks he's gotten away i got you i got you and mm -hmm. that that car comes through the flames i i love that yeah. um but yeah it's just it's just good thing that that ramp fell and 
I can I can be on board with him being shot hundreds of thousands of times by bullets and them all just ricocheting and nobody ever hitting his neck or his his chin. But this ramp <laughs> that got me. <laughs> uh, I going back to cinematography really quick. That shot, the upside down shot of him walking towards the penguin's car from penguin's perspective was gorgeous with the yeah, flames behind him. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I would have changed from that is when he when he bends down to look in the car still in slow motion. It just felt very cheesy. Yeah. It's like <laughs> peekaboo. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, I I like that because what else was going to happen? Um he, he was going to Yeah. Got, I, yeah I, does he bend know? down from his I, I don't know. I guess I don't know how a superhero would bend down to get the penguin out of the car. Does but he bend down from I his? Uh, that's what from I his liked. side. Yeah, because he's a superhero, but he still just got to do some things like a human, you know, because he is just a human. He doesn't have superpowers to just rip the door off the car or anything. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually liked that he just peeked down to look. It kind of added to sort of the boogeyman aspect of the Batman. Because, like, the penguin, you know what I mean? Like, the yeah. penguin was actually scared. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I guess you're right there. It just seemed awkward, like, hey, Oz, how you doing? <laughs> the the following scene where he and Gordon interrogate Penguin is one of the best scenes in the movie. And it's a mm-hmm. hoot, and I love it. And Colin Farrell's just phenomenal. Yeah, just, He's... you know, world's greatest detectives. You don't know yeah. between I and Law. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I didn't even know that was good. Colin Farrell. I, I didn't even read anything about this. I was reading the credits at the end and I saw Colin Farrell and I was like, who was Colin Farrell in this? I, I had to Google it. He was so good and completely transformed as a character that mm-hmm. I, yeah. I didn't even see it. Like, as soon as I, I saw that, I'm like, oh, yeah, OK. But oh, my gosh. So. Eric, did you did you see? Have you followed the news that they're giving him his own HBO Max show? Who the Penguin? Colin Farrell, the Penguin. Oh, okay. I might. So watch maybe that. that's a DC show you'll actually watch on HBO I'm, Max. I'm super into that. I can't wait. I can't I wait. That's, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be great. Because, like, I, I mean, I think that we all agree that he was just so much fun in the show, and, mm-hmm. or excuse me, in the movie. That like, yeah, more of him, please. Yep. And I'm yeah, glad that just... by the end of the movie, you've got. Penguin, Joker, Catwoman, Riddler, all on the board. So you can use them all as this, you know, as this version of Batman continues. I do love that Matt Reeves did that is find a way to introduce as many of those different characters as he can. So we've got a full board moving forward. Yep. And that's what's cool about the use of the penguin this way, because I've read a lot of comics and graphic novels where the penguin is the money guy, the guy behind the guy. And he's, he's just not, really a physically you know they've always he's always a lot shorter he's always way fatter but this was actually a penguin that i felt like fits what we classically know as the penguin but also is a little more mobile mm-hmm. and you could actually do some of this kind of stuff with them so mm-hmm. I, I i loved everything about the the way they did the penguin yep agree too touching off of my love of the Batmobile how like I said it's just a muscle car just a raw punch in the mouth kind of felt like it fit that emo Bruce Wayne-ish kind of image um, 
And we mentioned it earlier about the score, but specifically I want to call out the use of Something in the Way by Nirvana. I, I, I love the use of that. It's, it's always been one of my favorite songs by Nirvana, but it, it just had just that tone. And you hear it right at the beginning of the movie, and then you hear it at the end, and then you hear it mixed in throughout the movie and the score. But I, I felt as, as an actual song, it, and not an original song, but like going through the history of music, like what would be great in this film? And somebody found that. I thought it really set a good tone. Agree, disagree, other thoughts? Matt Reeves said that he actually listened to a lot of Nirvana while he was writing the script. So I was they used it in the trailer, they used it in the movie, so I'm not surprised because it seems like that was how he got into the, the headspace. Um, but I am not uh, I'm not the right person to ask about this just because I've never really liked Nirvana, so I think it's fine like in the movie, but like as a as a as a not Nirvana fan, I just I feel like I'm I'm biased and so Okay. I'm I'm with you, Eric. I loved the way that it was used. I'm Nirvana was like on the cusp of me getting into that emo grunge scene, which I didn't really love Nirvana, but I loved Green Day. And there was like those two camps. There were the Nirvana people and the Green Day people. I was a Green Day person, <laughs> but I loved the use of it in the movie. And I loved the way that it, it kind of sounded and pulled things together. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you on the tonality. Because I don't think there's been any other Batman movies that, like, use music this way. I mean, of course, the original 89 had songs by Prince, but those were songs written for the movie. And this was like, hey, 1993, Smells Like Teen Spirit, or Nevermind, rather. Uh, let's let's pull something in the way off of that. Let's, let's throw that in there. The, oh, it's going to set the tone for the whole film. I... I kind of felt like that was a really good move because obviously we've seen in all the Marvel movies, they've been drawing, you know, from the seventies and early eighties through pretty much every film, uh, you know, especially guardians of the galaxy, super heavy on that stuff. But this, I felt like they pick one good song. Like what is Batman? And <laughs> I don't know. It's just something, the lyrics, not necessarily even so much is just that the musicality of it anyway it certainly fits the the vibe and i totally get that it's no kiss from a rose but you know for this movie i get it <laughs> see again right like another song that we was good for sure but it was written for the movie rather than like let's go back through the archives so anyway <laughs> right, right i could just picture batman you know it's six whatever five thirty a.m rough night just finished up gets in that batmobile hits the cd play button and <laughs> and the and the cd player blows uh, blue flame and then it starts yeah. playing yeah yeah something in the woods yeah trying to see that that version of bruce wayne rocking out to nirvana in that version of the batmobile so there's one last thing I just wanted to, or actually two last things I just want to touch on. So I didn't like Alfred and Bruce's relationship. I thought no. when, when Alfred was in the hospital and Bruce was sitting there with him, he was going to wake up and Bruce was going to say, I'm so sorry. You have been a father to me and I'm sorry. I almost lost you. And I've, you know, 
I've missed that. I, I completely missed our relationship. But all he does is he wakes up, and this guy's coming out of a coma, and he says, you lied to me. Let me make you feel worse, even though you have a head injury and you almost died. So I didn't like mm-hmm. that. Um, but what I, I agree. something I loved is the voiceover that we got. The voiceover of Batman speaking just, it shouted the comics. Staying true to that the comics. That was cool. And I loved, I loved that. Yeah. Um, since I'm doing love, hate, love, hate. Another thing I hated is the squirrel flying suit. That was terrible. <laughs> yep, I'm, I, I agree. Um, and how he didn't die when he hit the, the bridge or the train tracks or whatever. Um, and then I loved the old phone with the red light when he was trying to call Alfred and the, the bust that was there that was both of those reminiscent of 1966 mm-hmm. Batman. So I love that those mm-hmm. were thrown in. Um, but anyway, sorry, I'm just now going on my little like Your notes child. I wanted to get yeah. in. So, Andy, anything else you want uh, to No, do? just I'll, I'll second the squirrel suit. I thought it was so dopey. I, I kind of mind boggling that they were like, hey, you know, the cool thing about Batman is, you know, he can glide and he looks like a bat because he's a flying creature. And someone said, what if he looked like a squirrel? It's just ridiculous. Eric, thoughts on the squirrel suit? I did not mind the squirrel suit only because those things are real you know you can actually use one and i think maybe that's what they were going for is a legitimate kind of contraption that can be used for gliding like that from high heights whether you could do it in a city or not that's where i'll let the superhero-ness take over but i didn't mind it well all right andy did the batman ruin your childhood of course not it's batman i'm always in it, it, there are those little things that that I didn't love, uh, but again, I've got to go back and just and just say that I still had a really good time. You know, I've seen a lot of complaints about the length, about it being three hours. Aside from the fact of just carving three hours out of my life to watch it, I didn't mind the length. I sat there, I was totally invested in it, and I enjoyed it the whole time. And uh, I said this on my show, but I think that the first chunk of it, the movie, is damn near perfect. And that ending is damn near perfect. And then it's the middle where I have highs and lows. But when it opened, I was like, oh, God, I'm all in. This is great. I loved the way they introduced the world and they introduced Batman with the voiceover, with just seeing how that urban legend and all these crooks looking in the shadows. And I loved that very hopeful, beautiful ending, too. So I was still really happy with it and and. I'm, you know, I'm in for this version and, and I'm excited to see what else it, you know, what else develops. <laughs> it's Batman, therefore you're happy. Uh, Eric, did the Batman ruin your childhood? No, this was exactly like Andy said. This was a, this was a Batman, you know, 80% Batman movie. This is a Batman detective comics. Uh, like some of the best Batman comics are some of the less flashy super villain chasing the Joker down kind of things. It's more Batman being a detective and skulking around and figuring things out and i i loved all of that and uh one other thing just to throw in uh it was a little wordy so when andy said like the middle of it got like not as perfect and had highs and lows i think the lows for me and this is probably why well i find it interesting that all three of us love so much of it but can only walk away saying it was really good And none of us can say, like, I really loved it. And for me, part of that is the middle when they just got so wordy. Like, he goes and listens to Falcone give a speech. And then he goes to the hospital and listens to Alfred give a speech. 
too there just was too wordy in the middle. We needed things shown a little bit more than just flat out told. And that is probably explained. Yeah. That's probably where I would lose, uh, lose the four star mark and have to go to maybe like three and a half, 3.75. Um, but did it ruin the childhood? No, it was a great version of Batman. I'm looking forward to the next iteration of uh, the Robert Pattinson, Pattinson uh, mm-hmm. version of Batman. <laughs> Andy, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day and with your your life with your daughter to step in and talk Batman for a little over an hour. Uh, so, Andy, where can people find you? <laughs> Well, thank you again for inviting me. Nice to finally meet you, Eric, and always down to talk some Batman, so I certainly appreciate it. Uh, if you want to hear me talk more Batman, ad nauseum, Holy Batcast, it's it's my show. Uh, I also talk about Disney on Disorder, every Disney film, a bunch of random stuff on Real Fans for Real Movies and Why Not Futurama. They're all part of the Real Fans Network at rf4rm.com, but if you just want to follow me, you can do that on Twitter or on Instagram. It's just my name, Andy DiGenova. A-N-D-Y-D-I-G-E-N-O-V-A. Awesome. Thank you. So, Eric, where can people find you? Uh, People can find me in Club 44, hanging out with the rest of the Gotham elite. Uh, Or you can find me at Eric underscore Walensky on Instagram or on Facebook, Eric Walensky. As for me, the Batman didn't ruin my childhood. I didn't love it, but I, I like that this world has been set up for us. And Matt Reeves is a great director. And if he wants to continue making Batman movies, which it seems like he does, then I'm here for it. Along with the other TV shows and spinoffs that are going to come from this, the Penguin show, like, give me it now. I want to see the Penguin show on HBO Max drop in early 2023 so I can just get back in the world of Colin Farrell's Penguin. Or Oz, I guess, as he's known. So, yeah, didn't ruin my childhood, and I'm here for this this new bat world that we've gotten. You can find me at Fildimo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O, on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and now Letterboxd. I've had a Letterboxd account, but I've just started using it a lot more. And so follow me on there. I have really enjoyed getting into the whole Letterboxd craze. You can also follow the podcast at Podcast Ruined on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening in. Thanks, Andy, for joining us. And we hope that this look back at the Batman didn't ruin your childhood. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. You're part of this, too. How am I part of this? You'll see. I saw what you saw. But I saw it uh, more the naivety, naiveness. I'd rather say naiveness because I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going with naiveness. Naivety. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I hate that word. Um, mm-hmm. 